It's time for Cadillac On Call on News Radio 610 KONA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac On Call, here's Jim Hall. Good evening, friends. Welcome to Cadillac On Call, presented by the Cadillac Foundation. And tonight, we're getting ready to head into the first holiday weekend of not quite officially summer, but certainly the summer season when the temperatures are getting to where they are, the Memorial Day holiday. And uh, throughout this COVID pandemic, we know what that has meant. Every time there is a major Mother's Day, Easter, uh, or a three-day holiday, uh, those kinds of things uh, caused problems during the COVID when it was at its height. And so while we are making tremendous progress in the battle against the pandemic, Certainly, I'm sure there's a little bit of wariness on the on the eyes in the in the minds of our public health officials. So tonight, we're happy to welcome back to our program Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District to spend the first part of our program getting us updated on where we stand with vaccinations, the level of COVID uh, in our community, and really what people are thinking as we head into this holiday weekend. And Heather, maybe that's the first place to start. I remember a year ago at this time when vaccines weren't here that there was a real, real worrisome concern of people, uh, the incidence of COVID as a result of these gatherings due to the holidays. What is it like a year later, and what's your hope for this weekend? Well, we're certainly in a, a very different place than we were last year at this time, and we can credit that directly to you know, our vaccination efforts. And seeing the number of people vaccinated has definitely decreased our our case rate, not only locally, but all around the nation. And so heading into this Memorial Day weekend, really being one of the first major holiday weekends where we've seen, we're going to see what will happen with a, a population that does have vaccine on board. How are we going to look as a community coming out of this holiday weekend? We we fully expect there to be cases as a result of gatherings because not everybody is vaccinated. We're, we're not to that herd immunity that we're looking for, that 70% yet. But we're really hoping that we won't see as big a spike as we have a year ago when we head into a holiday weekend and then look at the data afterwards. But you know, our message to the community is still the same. Even though we're vaccinated, Many of us are, at least. It is so important that we continue to do those mitigation efforts because there there are people who are not vaccinated. We have children who are not vaccinated. And then we do have uh, residents in our community who they're vaccinated, but because of how their body responds to the vaccine, they could still be at risk for catching it. Thank goodness if you catch it. After vaccination, you are significantly less likely to have a, a very bad outcome. But still, we, we need to continue to be cautious and, and protect each other and do what's right to, to mitigate the spread of COVID. And certainly as, as we see the, the numbers of vaccinated folks go up, I, I think I was reading today over in the state of Washington, at least, more than half of Washington residents 16 years and older are fully vaccinated. But I know in our area, and in particular uh, Franklin County, much lower than the rest of the counties around the state. Yeah, Franklin County is still showing one of the lowest vaccination rates in Washington state. So that, that certainly has us concerned. And as we look at our vaccination efforts around our community, 
we're really looking to ways we can improve that that vaccination rate. What what do we need to do to help our community come into vaccine centers, come in and get vaccinated? Because really, it is it's for the good of the community. It's for the good of businesses, and it's such a um, the vaccine does such a good job of stopping the spread that if we saw our vaccine rates a little bit higher, we could really be COVID. And as we've touched on, I think it's kind of that cause and effect relationship and and relative to the vaccine and people's hesitancy to get the vaccine, that seems to be the big challenge now because I understand uh, effective Friday, May 28th, the the vaccination site here at the fairgrounds in Kennewick will be closing. So, uh, and I and I understand business hasn't been nearly as brisk as it was a few weeks and months ago. So, what where are we at with the test? Testing is readily available, right, all over the community. Or I'm sorry, That's testing correct. and vaccinations is both both sides. Right, testing and vaccination really is quite available in our community. So. Um, you just need to make sure you're finding a place to get vaccinated. But let's talk a little bit about what to do. If you've gone out to the fairgrounds and you've gotten your first vaccine, knowing that the vaccine clinic out there is going to close, what do you do? Because you're going to be due for a second dose if you got Pfizer or Moderna. And it's encouraging to see how many other options there are in our community. We have a lot of our local pharmacies who are offering vaccine. You just need to check in with them to see which one they are offering. Our uh, CBC West, uh, the testing center is also converting into a a vaccination center as well. Right now it's only running vaccinations on Sunday, but we will very soon be ramping up to many more days a week. And they will be providing the variety of vaccines, not just one specific type of vaccine. So don't worry if you got your Pfizer out at the fairgrounds. There are plenty of places around town. You can go to the vaccine locator online, and that can help guide you to one of those sites around town who is giving the vaccine that you specifically need. And obviously, as we've touched on before, if you get, for example, Pfizer in dose one, you need Pfizer in dose two. But what you're saying now is you can get that second Pfizer dose wherever it's available around the Tri-Cities or community area. Right. That's changed. In the beginning, we were really encouraging people to go back to the provider where they got the first one. But as vaccine clinics are showing up all over our community, it's a lot easier to, to access the, the variety of vaccines at, at many different places. I want to spend the next segment uh, a little more focused, I guess, on all of the latest mask rules, but let's keep the discussion relative to vaccines and, and the types of things that around you touched on, uh, places, uh, pharmacies, the CBC West testing site that's also being converted. And I understand you're also doing pop-up clinics still. Are those being effective? I mean, it's just kind of at this point, you just pick people off as you can as far as uh, getting them vaccinated uh, wherever you can, whenever you can. Is just to have a clinic pop up in a busy part of town where there are people out and about. And strangely enough, they, they become very busy. We see a pretty good vaccine um, clientele at these pop ups because what, what that does is it brings that clinic actually to the person that we want to serve because so often our hesitant people, they just really need convenience. And if they happen to be in the right place, the right time, the vaccine clinic is in front of them, 
that's when we're seeing many of them going ahead and getting vaccinated at that time. If they have to hunt and locate and search and schedule, they're less likely to follow through with vaccine. But if they walk into the store or another business and the vaccine clinic is right there in front of them, that's where we start to catch some of those a little harder to reach people. And the harder to reach people I know uh, historically have been, you know, we're getting, we're, the, the farm work season is, is heating up. The essential workers that last year hit pretty hard. Are you finding success getting out into these areas where where people, uh, it might be harder for them to come in during the day? I know there's been off hours types of offerings, but what's that been like uh, getting vaccinations out to people in this essential workforce? That's a really good question, uh, Jim. We've, we've had good success. We've got a couple of mobile teams that their their focus is really on getting into those farm worker, those ag food worker populations. We have a team here at the health department that's been communicating regularly with those business leaders and helping to get the business connected with the clinic. And the clinic comes right out to the site and accommodates the, the business with what they need to have happen and when it should happen. Again, it's meeting people where it's the easiest, the most convenient for them to get vaccinated. Visiting with Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District, talking about where we stand with vaccinations and where we get to be uh, in the opening scope of things around our community as we head into the Memorial Day holiday. And again, this website uh, we're going to touch on when we come back, it's a uh, when you get your vaccination cards, I know Heather said they've been getting a lot of inquiries if people lose their cards. We'll get the answers to those questions right after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to our program. We're visiting with Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. And before we move on to where we stand with the masking rules around our region, I, I want to touch on one more issue related to vaccines, Heather, and that's relative to the cards. I understand your office has received a lot of information, inquiry about what happens if I lose my vaccination card. Where do we, what's the advice? Sure. We, we have been getting a, a fair number of calls where people misplace their card, can't find it, and are now really wanting to have that information. So the best thing you can do is there is a website, and it's very easy to maneuver through. It's called myirmobile.com. And when you go into there, it will guide you through how to actually access and then print out your, your vaccination record. But we really encourage people, keep your card in a safe place. Uh, I hear a lot of people putting it with their, their passport or with other documents that they want to keep very safe. Um, it's, it's not encouraged to laminate the original card. Tuck that one away safely. Do a photocopy of your card and, and laminate that one if you want to have a laminated copy in your pocket. But whatever you do... Um, keep it in a very safe place because at some point in time you are going to be asked, I suspect, for proof of vaccination. <laughs> I was going to say, I was just, that was my next question, is it's, it's probably still too early in all of the, the game, so to speak, to, to know when it might be 
required uh, to, to show your vac- proof of vaccination, whether it's, you know, getting on an airplane or those kinds of things, um, you know. And employers, um, employers, businesses, they, they actually do have a right to ask for evidence of vaccination. So uh, those cards are going to be very, very important at, at some point in, in the near future in your life. And with that, obviously, that raises the specter kind of morphing into the, the question on masks is because I know uh, even the health district has, has loosened uh, some of the guidelines surrounding where you can wear masks. And I know the CDC has done the same. And, and we're seeing more and more even city agencies and local businesses that are that are relaxing those if right, if you're fully vaccinated. That's correct, and and you know we've been following the CDC guidance. They came out first, what just about a couple of weeks ago, and then Department of Health came out with their directives. And Dr. Person did um, rescind the directives that were in place since last summer to align with the CDC and Washington State Department of Health. The, what, the first important thing to remember is fully vaccinated means two weeks after your last dose. So if you had a Moderna or Pfizer, which are a two-dose series, then two weeks after your second dose. If it's a Johnson & Johnson, it's two weeks after your one dose of Johnson & Johnson. That's when you're considered fully vaccinated. And I know there are some relative to what you're allowed to do, but certain facilities, I know certain healthcare facilities are among them. There are places that you're still required to wear a mask if you're in those settings. Right. Um, you know, there are federal, state, tribal laws that come into play, and definitely in um, airplanes and buses, trains, medical provider offices and facilities, correctional facilities, um, you still have to wear a mask, whether you're vaccinated or not, in, in those facilities. And and I guess maybe we should spend a minute or two just on, okay, it may not be a hard, fast rule, but if I say own oh, my own private business and I still want to have a stricter mask code in my business, I, I, as a business owner, have that right, too, to require my patrons to mask up. Yes. So employers and businesses still have the right to ask their employees and the people coming to their, their business to, to wear a mask. And, and we need to practice kindness and understanding, there may be a very, very good reason why that business is asking people to take extra caution when they come in. We don't know the health status of perhaps the employees in that business or other patrons who may be coming to that business who are a little more vulnerable. And being asked to wear a mask for the short period of time that you're going to be in their business is the right thing to do. And I have to commend those businesses who are really looking out for the, the health and well-being of their patrons and their employees who are asking to continue for very good reason. And, and, and as you touched on a little bit earlier, well, all the more reason to, to up those vaccination numbers because, again, you know, the young children below the age of 12 aren't allowed to get the vaccine yet. So obviously there are some vulnerabilities still out there. Yeah, there are those children that are still vulnerable, and then there are those adults that are still vulnerable, even those that are vaccinated, like I said earlier, where the vaccine may not give them 100% protection from actually catching the illness. And, you know, another thing we need to remember is over these last many, many months that we've been wearing our masks, 
there is certainly a, a segment of the population who will continue to wear it even though they're fully vaccinated because they have found some safety in wearing that mask. Maybe they have chronic health conditions such as lung disease, heart disease, and they realize that, wow, I've been wearing a mask and I didn't catch cold, I didn't catch the flu, I did not get sick like I usually do, or the the irritants that are floating around in the air didn't bother me and I have chronic lung disease. And I, I will just continue to wear my mask because I felt so much safer and I didn't run into those problems that I have historically. And we need to accept that and understand that. So as you go out and about the town and you do see people wearing masks, it's best not to make assumptions. Wearing a mask may mean they are vaccinated. And then somebody wearing a, a mask may choose to wear it whether they're vaccinated or not, because they have found it has helped their health improve and not have so many other illnesses. And as you mentioned, it's kind of a, a, a two-way street for the people wearing masks. The people that aren't don't criticize someone for wearing a mask. And if someone isn't, I guess you have the presumption that, okay, they must be fully vaccinated. Right. Practice kindness, understanding, <laughs> And, and mostly focus on yourself and, and really do what's right for you and your family because we, we suspect the majority of people really are trying to do the right thing. And as you touched on, I think, as we, we were mentioning that the stat was, I think, just 60% of folks in the state of Washington are fully vaccinated over the age of 16. We're trying to get as high as we can. And didn't you think, say, 70% was the threshold of where we want to be or need to be? is a number that's thrown around as herd immunity, and that's that's a number that says there's enough of us vaccinated that we should see a significant decrease in the amount of this illness that's floating around. And that is true for, say, influenza or other illnesses. We like to see what's called herd immunity, and then we will start to see that illness significantly decrease. Well, let's finish where we started, and that's we're heading into the a holiday weekend here in the community and across the country. And we know people are going to be traveling. They're, they're anxious to get out and excited to get out and go enjoy the outdoors and travel again. So what's your public health advice in, in the next one minute, Heather, if you would, as we head into this holiday weekend? Sure. Um, continue to practice what we know is going to, to help stop the spread of this. Limit your gatherings. Make sure you talk to those people that are coming to your gathering. Are they vaccinated? Make it okay to wear a mask at your gathering for unvaccinated people. Don't shame people in a time like this because it's not going to help us get to where we need. Um, but do continue to be cautious. Uh, this is a good weekend to go out and get vaccinated. Make it a you know a Memorial Day holiday outing with the family and, and find your vaccination site and, and get that vaccine on board. And as you touched on, there are plenty of locations in and around the Tri-Cities area, wherever you're listening to this broadcast or podcast, that you can get vaccinated. And I think in the state of Washington, what is it, Vaccine Locator? Is that where you go to find that? Yes, yes. And this weekend, there'll be a you know Pasco Farmer's Market on Saturday and CBC West on Sunday. And a lot of different pop-ups are happening around town. Go to your pharmacy. So that would be a, a really good Memorial Day outing for the family. 
Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. Enjoy your weekend. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. Back with the second half of Catholic on Call in just a minute. Listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Once again, Jim Hall. Well, a year ago, we didn't know a lot, and we were just trying to figure out, you know, what our capacity was to make the diagnosis and then what kinds of treatments could be offered. Um, We conducted clinical trials. We took part in multiple studies, um, to partly to just have options available, uh, but at the same time gathering data to help understand whether those treatments were successful. And uh, like the, the studies eventually showed when those were published, uh, they were beneficial for some patients, not beneficial for others. They tended, the things we were using like remdesivir and convalescent plasma tended to work the best if they were given early in the course of the illness, but if you gave them late, they didn't make much of a difference. Uh, fortunately, now there are better therapeutics that actually have some benefit for patients who have severe illness, including the monoclonal antibodies, which our, our critical care doctors are using when patients are sick enough to be in the ICU, uh, and we're seeing more success with that. And, and fortunately, we're also seeing less severe illness as, you know, we've been able to roll out the vaccines and get more of our high-risk population vaccinated. We're, we're still seeing cases, but we're not seeing as many of those cases result in hospitalization and death. So um, a, a lot, we're in a much better position this year than we were last year, uh, but still seeing some concerning trends because we know that here in our community last summer, we had a really uh, large wave of COVID cases uh, that started right around this time, uh, early May, and, and carried pretty strong through June and July. And we're seeing a little bit of an uptick now, suggesting we may see a similar pattern again. So we have to remain vigilant and be really careful, and we, we really just have to make sure we're getting people vaccinated as quickly and efficiently as possible. What was it like a year ago at this time? You mentioned the cases started to, to tick upward, but what you knew, I guess, maybe take us back in time to what you, when you'd go up under the critical care unit or when you go through the hospital and, and see the team caring for the patients, what were the big challenges at that time? Well, the, the biggest challenges then were that we, we didn't know whether the treatments that we were offering were really going to help. Um, we were putting people on um, experimental medications that we hoped would be helpful. And we did see cases where the patient would turn around fairly quickly within a few days of starting those treatments. Uh, but we also had cases where they didn't appear to make any difference at all. And we had some patients who couldn't receive those treatments for various reason, uh, reasons, and, and sometimes they would still get better. So it was really challenging until the studies were released. We, we couldn't say for sure if we were even offering anything to help other than supporting people through uh, the low oxygen levels and and providing supportive care. We always knew that the supportive care we could provide would bridge the patients through until hopefully they would begin to improve on their own. But we really didn't know if the uh, medications or convalescent plasma were actually helping them. And then once the studies came out, we knew that 
we kind of knew which groups of patients they would be helpful for, particularly somebody who came in early in the course of illness and got diagnosed. If we started those treatments right at the very start of, of symptoms, then we could really make a difference. And one uh, of but the... that took a while to figure out. So it, right. early on, if I would, could sum up everything in, in one statement about what it felt like a year ago, it, was, it felt very helpless because we, we really saw a lot of people sick and struggling and didn't have anything we could offer where we could actually say to them, this will help. We just had nothing like that that we could offer. And the fact that the people that were sick were the most vulnerable parts of the population too, right? That is correct. Yeah. Yeah, we saw the illness go through many of our local uh, nursing homes. Um, and we were able to, uh, fortunately, we were able to get our nursing homes in the community to uh, work very well together as a coordinated team where some of the nursing homes that had seen COVID cases uh, began to uh, become COVID nursing homes. And then we had other nursing homes that hadn't had any COVID and we were able to keep it out of them and keep them protected. And so even when we were looking at discharging patients from the hospital, if there was a patient with COVID who needed to be in a nursing home and couldn't go home, they would go to a facility that was only caring for COVID positive patients. And so they weren't being mixed with patients who were vulnerable and at risk. And then all of the other nursing homes were able to stay protected and free of COVID. And that worked really well. Um, there were a lot of communities where there were challenges around nursing homes. And, you know, you were in some places, it was either, you know, accept the fact that it's going to spread through the nursing homes, uh, which would be devastating, or say, no, we're not going to let any of our COVID patients go to any nursing homes at all, but then they would stay in the hospital. And, you know, there's only so much capacity to keep a lot of patients in the hospital. And so in our community, we were able to strike a balance between having nursing homes that focused on caring for COVID patients who needed to be there, uh, and then other nursing homes that focused on caring for the patients that didn't have COVID. And we screened aggressively and made sure that we kept COVID out of those nursing homes. And so we had two different sets. And these are all facilities that are owned by different entities and don't usually they, they generally see one another as competitors to one another in the community but yet they all got together and worked together to coordinate this effort to make sure that skilled nursing rehab care was available for everyone whether they had COVID or not and in a way that uh, did not allow COVID to spread in those facilities it was really nice to see. Well, and, and to say there's the, the term PPE was the other issue, by the way, and then the testing was in limited supply. So it was almost a perfect storm of just challenge uh, at, at its highest yeah. level. Yeah. And fortunately, we've we've not had any issues with getting PPE for our healthcare workers for probably at least seven or eight months now that through the summer, there were times and, you know, for at first it was... Um, you know, the masks and then it was the face shields and gowns and, you know, always a little bit of different struggle of what we were having a hard time getting. But all of those items we have plenty of and we're always able to get plenty of. So no issues there. And then um, you mentioned the um, what was the other thing you mentioned? Well, just the, the numbers of hospitalized patients and the fact that you couldn't have visitors. So that the healthcare teams were playing multiple roles. Correct. And um, we've been able to ease that up a little bit um, so that, that it's easier for, for families to be able to come in and spend time uh, with their, their sick family members in the hospital. That has gotten better. So we're still controlling access to the hospital and screening everyone as they enter. 
uh, but more people are able to, to come and enter now. And then the other thing I almost forgot about the testing, you mentioned the testing. Right. Um, a year ago, we still had extremely limited supply of, of testing that would give us quick results. You know, tests that we could do in the community where we'd have a result within an hour or within a day. Uh, and anything beyond that would have to be sent out to commercial labs that often had turnaround times of three to five days, which really doesn't help you uh, when you're trying to make decisions in, in live, in real time, to decide where to put a patient in the hospital or whether to isolate or not. And so now, you know, we, that has improved to where we are screening every patient that's admitted to the hospital with or without COVID symptoms. Uh, we're screening, and if a patient stays in the hospital for more than seven days, they get rescreened periodically throughout the hospital stay so that we're able to seriously reduce the likelihood of, of staff, other patients, or visitors in the hospital being exposed to COVID because of that constant screening that's being done. Um, so that, that's been good. We have the drive-up testing site where patients in the community who have symptoms and think they might have COVID can just drive in at the uh, site out at Argent Road near CBC and pull in. They don't even have to get out of the car. Uh, they can get a test and then have a way to get their results. So uh, testing has been much, much more efficient, and that's good because when people know they have COVID, the hope is that they're going to be more careful and quarantine, and we are aware of it, and the health department can contact them and make sure they understand how they should protect others around them. Some material from an Encore presentation of Cadillac on Call from early May with Dr. Brian York, an infectious disease specialist at Cadillac. We'll be back with more of our conversation in a moment. You're listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Here again, Jim Hall. And welcome back to the program, continuing a discussion we had with Dr. Brian York earlier this month, an infectious disease specialist with Cadillac and a frequent guest on our program throughout the pandemic. We'll pick up our conversation with Dr. York now. Well, I, I think we're fortunate in the United States to have three different vaccines available, um, the single-shot Johnson & Johnson vaccine, the Moderna and Pfizer two-shot vaccines, both of which use the mRNA uh, technology, they have all been shown to be highly effective at preventing severe disease. Uh, the Johnson & Johnson is a little bit less effective if you look at total symptomatic cases, although if you compare them in terms of the likelihood of hospitalization, uh, death, or severe illness, they all have better than 95% efficacy in that regard. So that's really good to see. Uh, in Washington State, we're, we're doing pretty well. We've actually seen, um, I, I believe, Cumulatively, in Washington State, we are up to about 6 million doses of vaccine given. Let me see. I'm going to make sure I have that correct. Just under 5.6 million vaccines in Washington State. And uh, in Benton County, um, we're up to uh, 144,000 doses in Benton County. And Franklin County is lagging a little bit behind. Um, I know at the health department, they're they're looking at that and trying to figure out how to increase awareness and make sure we're getting people to the vaccination site. But we've we've really uh, been able to get vaccination to a lot of people in Washington State and in our counties. If you would, though, um, for the, the people who 
are, are, are holding out or not wanting to get the vaccine. What's your message to them? Well, I think I, I know a lot of people who've gotten the vaccine. Um, I got it myself. Members of my family have received a vaccine. I feel that it's safe. I think there's some concern out there because of the fact that it's listed under an emergency use authorization. Um, there's a notion that it is that it is still experimental, and I think that's a, a misrepresentation because the clinical trials that led to the approval of these vaccines were very robust and, and studied uh, tens of thousands of patients receiving vaccine versus placebo. Um, so I, I think the FDA did the right thing by moving more quickly through its process to make sure that it was safe to be given. Uh, normally, vaccines do have a, a longer period of time between when they're developed and when they're finally approved for use, but that's not always the case. Um, we should keep in mind that every year the the flu shot has to be redeveloped uh, with the the strains of the flu virus change on a regular basis, and so every year we're adjusting what's in the influenza vaccine, including sometimes even changing whether or not there need to be adjuvants given, changing whether it's live or attenuated virus. So there's a number of different aspects of the flu vaccine that changes every year, and yet it, it comes out on a regular schedule and does not require years of study to verify its safety. So I, I think um, I would encourage people who are at risk of severe illness from COVID-19 to receive the vaccine. There is no other single thing that any high-risk individual can do to protect themselves. Um, we're still encouraging social distancing and mask use when in public, um, in mixed groups where you don't know if everyone's vaccinated, uh, less so outdoors. Um, and that provides some protection, but for someone who's at risk of severe illness from COVID-19, even making sure that everyone around them always wears a mask does far less to protect them than going and getting their vaccine. So I hope everyone at high risk who's worried about getting COVID would go get the vaccine because that can give them excellent protection. Um, I think we're seeing a lot of hesitancy in younger people who don't consider themselves to be at high risk from COVID. And I think generally it is true that younger people, if you're under the age of 50, your risk of having severe illness and dying from COVID is much, much lower than older people or people with medical comorbidities. But we do still see, even, even within the past few weeks, we are still seeing young, healthy people who have severe COVID and end up admitted to the hospital. It's less common, but it's, we're seeing more and more of that as a percentage of the patients we're admitting to the hospital because so many of the higher risk people have received their vaccine. And I think we're seeing younger patients in the community being a little bit less careful about getting COVID because they're not as worried about infecting their parents or grandparents anymore. So they're, and that's why they were being careful for the whole past year was more to protect mom and dad and grandma and grandpa which is good. And I think we're seeing people relax a little bit and not be as concerned. And so a lot of our new cases that we're seeing spike over the past uh, few months have been in younger people, and many of them are ending up in the hospital. So I don't think people should consider themselves to be completely free of risk uh, just because they're young and healthy, and they can still protect themselves and those around them by getting the vaccine. We 
want you to touch on, if you would, these variants, because I see this current uh, spike back up in cases, and Oregon apparently has seen more variant uh, than we have here in Washington State. But but what's the cautionary tale on, on these variants, and what should people be aware of? Why is that such a, a big deal? Well, the, the biggest concern with the variants is whether they will escape the immunity that people get from either receiving the vaccine or from having already had uh, the, what we call the wild type or the original virus previously. Um, in Washington state, we're screening for variants. Um, about On average, about 10% of all of the positives that, that uh, are identified in confirmed cases. In March, it was about 12.5%. They're focusing that screening on situations where variants are most likely to be found. So people who may have had COVID for a second time, people who got vaccinated and got COVID anyway, uh, people who traveled recently, uh, people associated with certain clusters or outbreaks. That's where they're focusing this testing. Uh, Cumulatively, about 25% of the strains that have been uh, sequenced or or, uh, viruses that have been sequenced so far have turned out to be among these variants. We can't generalize that to the to the population as a whole because they're not doing a random sample. As I mentioned, they're, they're targeting it to situations where variants are likely. So this is probably an overestimate of the total amount of variants in Washington state, but there's really no way to know that. The state wants to eventually start doing some random sample testing, which would get them, allow them to make a more general statement about the actual prevalence of variants in the state. Uh, but for now, we just have this targeted. Dr. Brian York, an infectious disease specialist with Catholic, an interview recorded in early May. As we head into the Memorial Day weekend, we invite you to have a wonderful time with your friends and family. Do be healthy, be safe, and uh, show grace to one another wherever your positions are relative to vaccinations. Thanks for all of our programming tonight. We'll talk again next week.